we're talking about community. And this community that we're talking about, the church, uh, as David said, is, uh, is the best thing that could ever happen to you, to be part of the people of God, part of the family of the living God. But this community matters. It matters to God. And I think that that's one of the things that we, we wanted, uh, as we're thinking this uh, over the next couple of days about some of the obstacles that we face in community, Part of what we need to bear in mind, and the reason we have this, this uh, text on the, uh, the front of the program, is that this community matters uh, deeply to God. In the passage that uh, David was speaking from, just a few verses later, after he talks about not laying any foundation other than Christ, he then exhorts uh, the church at Corinth. He says, don't you know, don't you understand? We were just singing... Uh, let, me, let me be a sanctuary. And so we think about ourselves often, and Joel is going to talk uh, tomorrow night about our bodies being a temple of the Holy Spirit. But here in this passage that's on the front of your, your program, when, when Paul says, don't you know that you are God's temple, he doesn't mean you as a, as a bunch of distinct individuals. He means you as God's people, are a temple. And that God's Spirit dwells in His people. Uh, in the Old Testament, we see God uh, filling the temple, the physical building, uh, with His glory. The New Testament people of God, uh, there's, no, there's no temple. The people of God are that temple. And this is precious to God. And so Paul says, if anyone destroys God's temple, he's not talking there about suicide. He's talking about God's people. And we're talking this week about things that might be destructive influences like jealousy and strife upon God's people. If anyone destroys God's temple, Paul says in very serious words, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. It is holy to the Lord and you are that temple. This matters to God. And so when we, when we turn uh, to the next passage that we're going to look at in chapter 5, we, we find that uh, this is a very serious passage. I was sort of joking with, uh, with Joel over dinner. It's like, how did I get, how did I get stuck with this? Um, <laughs> Very serious text about very serious matters. And I think that it's helpful for us to, to enter into this. That, that the church, as David was saying, the people of God, it's not about me. It's about, it's about God. And I think that will help us as, as we think uh, about this text and what it means for us to, to really love one another and, and to seek God's glory as, as a community. Uh, the second challenge to faith comes from a, a, a gross failure to respond to sin within the community. And that's a, that's a challenging topic, I think, for us, because we're in a, 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 a time in, in our culture, uh, even in American culture, which is very much characterized the whole uh, Internet phenomenon, very much of a blame and shame culture, uh, right now, people just constantly rebuking, calling one another out. And uh, as Christians, we're often 
I think we often feel ourselves to be on the receiving end of that. And particularly Christians uh, are very sensitive to being accused of being judgmental. So we're, we don't want to be uh, judgmental. And, and so when we get to a text like this where Paul is telling the people, hey, you've got a, a, some, a serious problem in your midst, you need to deal with it. I think this is a hard topic for us because uh, we, we, uh, we might construe what he describes as being unloving, as being ungracious. Uh, as, as being intolerant, as, as lacking uh, an affirmation. And yet God has this central concern for the health and the integrity of the community, which sometimes means that the community has to deal with uh, things that are, that are infecting it. Uh, and so in, in that context, let me read uh, 1 Corinthians 5. Um, I'll read the whole chapter. It is actually reported uh, that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife. So this is, I, I do think it's important for us to say, this is a very significant, uh, flagrant, open, public, sinful situation where a guy's in, a, in an openly sexual relationship, apparently with his uh, stepmother, within the, within the community. And uh, rather than dealing with it, Paul says, if you are arrogant, ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I'm uh, present in spirit, and as if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan, for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote even in my letter, apparently referring to a previous communication, not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral people of this world, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality, or uh, greed, or is an idolater, reviled, drunk, or something, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It's not, is it not those who are inside the church who you are to judge? God judges or will judge those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So this is God's word. Um, Paul sees this situation in that community as uh, posing a very serious threat to the community, and, and he gives them instructions for how, how to respond. And in, in, a, in a word, he, he tells them to remove the person from their midst and suggests that they should not even associate with him. Uh, someone who is professing to be a Christian and yet is apparently behaving as I said, in an openly 
sinful way, uh, in such a sinful way, even people who were not followers of Christ would have said, that's a bad thing to be doing. Uh, and this person is behaving that way and is, is apparently unrepentant. Uh, and so he gives them instructions. Uh, but but as, as, we, as we look at this, I want uh, uh, you know, for us to think about how are we to respond to sin uh, in our midst. And, and the first thing that I think we often don't think about is uh, notice what, what he says. The first thing I want to think about is what are some of the negative consequences and what are the positive steps uh, that, that we can take. And um, one of the things that, 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 that I think is really interesting there in verse 6, I don't know if uh, you can get us to verse 6, where he says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know uh, that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Uh, and, and basically what he is saying to them is, Don't you guys understand this person's sin? And this is a, an important uh, principle that Joel's going to talk about uh, as well tomorrow night. This person's sin uh, has the potential, and in fact already is, impacting the entire community. It's not just a, a private uh, matter. And he uses uh, the, the uh, illustration of leaven, which uh, may be somewhat unfamiliar to you. Uh, leaven is uh, used in the baking process and essentially what it is, is, is it's a, uh, I, I'm not a chemist or a baker or anything like that, so, but it, you have a, a small lump of uh, uh, dough that is in a high state of fermentation. And some of you have heard of sourdough, sourdough bread. My mother used to actually, in the, in the uh, refrigerator, she would keep a lump of dough like this that uh, she would use to make uh, sourdough biscuits. And she would just always keep a lump in there because she could use that lump uh, that then is mixed into a new batch of dough. And uh, I don't know how long it takes, but when you mix it into a new batch of dough and that that leaven permeates and infuses uh, the the entire new batch of dough and causes it to rise, similar to the way we had yeast would work. And this image of leaven that Paul uses, this becomes a, a, a figure um, of any kind of an influence that, that permeates or modifies or transforms something. Sometimes for the good, Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 13 where he talks about the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's like a woman who, who mixed leaven into a lump of dough and, and it and spread until the whole dough was leaven. That, that's a good illustration, but generally speaking, um, when leaven is used in the New Testament in particular, it's usually uh, characterized as a symbol of the process by which evil, in, in a very uh, kind of insidious way, infects or spreads or permeates a, a whole community. And so Jesus will say, uh, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and, and by which he means their teaching. He's, he's basically saying they're teaching is dangerous, and if you're not aware of it, it will permeate your, your thinking and your, and your community. And so he's saying, look guys, what this person is doing 
has the potential to infect the whole community. Don't you understand that? You're, you're being naive. And so in failing, in this case, for the church failing to take action, they were at fault in a number of really significant ways. If you, if you skim through what Paul says to them, I mean, they, they were guilty of a kind of arrogance. He says, you should have been mourning, grieving about what is happening, but in, 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 in fact, you're arrogant. He refers to them as boasting. And it's possible that their arrogance was, was uh, simply that they thought, oh, well, we're saved by grace. By grace through faith. It's, we're not saved by our own righteousness. We're not saved by our own works. These things don't matter anymore. The more we sin, the more God is gracious. Paul certainly had to address that, uh, that kind of thinking. I remember an elder in a church I attended in Texas who became involved in an uh, adulterous relationship um, with another woman. And uh, he was found out, and then he was called out. And his response was, well, I know it's wrong, but God will forgive me. You know, that's what he does. And um, I'm not saying that's exactly the same attitude, but there was sort of a cavalier attitude uh, at the Church of Corinth about sin. It's not a big deal, maybe. It doesn't really matter. We can do whatever we want. God will be gracious to us. Not sure, but, you know, I think we are perhaps a little too tempted to not take sin seriously as, as God seems to take it here. So there's a lack of humility, which, which means that there's a failure to be grieved by this behavior. There's a lack of God's perspective, so there's arrogance, there's foolishness. They're naive to the fact that this is going to harm the whole community. They don't see the destructive consequences. Third, they're guilty of a kind of disregard for God's glory. Uh, a lack of conviction. He, he says even the pagans know this is wrong, guys. Wake up. They're not concerned about their witness to, to the wider world, about showing the visible beauty of God to the wider world. And, and finally, they don't care about this man. They're indifferent to the consequences of letting him continue in this kind of sinful behavior. And so ultimately, they're, they're, they're guilty of a lack of love. Uh, and, and this is a particularly important for us to wrestle with because we're often so concerned to bring something up, we don't want to seem to be judgmental or intolerant or unloving. And yet, perhaps, the very act of not bringing something up displays a serious lack of care for the other person. So this community is really threatened by this, and Paul gives them these instructions, specific instructions in this case for how to deal with it. And as I said, he tells them to remove it. He uses the language of cleansing it, purging the evil person from among you. And as I've said, this is a very public, open, uh, serious sin, apparently shameless sin. And this is 
we, we might say this is the most severe uh, kind of action that the, the people of faith, the church community, might take in regard to an individual. Uh, this is the action that uh, we might describe as excommunication. To put somebody out of the assembly, um, out of the communion. Um, and, that, you know, Paul uses, uh, if you were listening, uh, very uh, dramatic language. Deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Um, don't even uh, eat with such a person. Uh, purge this person uh, from your midst. That is that's strong language for I would say the most extreme form of uh, church discipline that, that the church might practice. And I understand that many of you are like, whoa, what is he even talking about delivering this person to the same? Uh, there's a lot of questions that you might have about the text, and you know, I I'd be happy to talk to them. Uh, talk with you about them, but we don't have time to try to uh, resolve all those now. But I want you to see minimally that serious sin in the midst of the community has, has the uh, possibility of infecting or harming the entire community, and, and it's, it's not right to simply uh, ignore it. So you might be saying, well, okay, uh, where does that lead us? And I think that in the New Testament, we find that there are various uh, prescriptions for how we ought to respond to sin within the community. And, and I think in some sense we could say that those uh, prescriptions depend upon uh, the situation. There's, I, I don't see a one-size-fits-all. I think there is a certain amount of uh, wisdom that the, the New Testament sets before us, a kind of case-by-case treating of sin in our midst. Um, we have, maybe at, at the most basic level, uh, I, I, I hope your takeaway from what we're saying tonight is not, oh, I guess Bill told us that I need to go around and point out um, every fault that each of my brothers and sisters has. No. Um, I don't think that's the right takeaway. Uh, the Apostle Peter tells us that, that we're to be devoted to one another in love, and that love covers a multitude of sins. Um, that there is uh, a real place for us as brothers and sisters who are bearing with one another in, in familial love to overlook one another's faults. Um, we don't need to you know, respond to this in a kind of self-appointed you know, sin detector in every other person. Uh, David's going to talk about 1 Corinthians 13, uh, which uses the language of love, uh, doesn't keep a record of, of wrongs. And we don't want to become a kind of people who are um, constantly assessing our brothers and sisters in terms of, you know, here's all the things you're guilty of, and here's all the things you're guilty of. We have a very important passage in Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins against you, and apparently in such a way that you, you don't feel like I can simply forgive them and forget about it, I can't simply overlook it, that this has really caused a disruption or a harm in our relationship, Jesus will tell us in that situation, go to your brother or your sister in private 
and tell them their fault. And so there we have a situation of dealing uh, with sin, not by gossiping about it and going to other people, but by trying to resolve the situation privately with a brother or sister. And then there's instructions, well, if they don't listen to you, if you can't resolve it that way, then there are further steps that might be taken. Now, one passage that, uh, that, that I think in this regard might be helpful for us to look at, and I think he has it up here on the uh, screen for us, is, is this uh, from uh, Galatians. And here, uh, Paul gives us some very simple, but I think important instructions. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any kind of transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And I think this is a very important passage to think about in light of what we're talking about tonight. That if, if you were to become aware, let's say, of a, of a brother or sister who is uh, involved in uh, perhaps some kind of behavior that is, is a significant sin, uh, that might be uh, bringing shame upon uh, the community, uh, that might be uh, infecting in some sense the community, uh, then it would be appropriate you know, for you to very prayerfully say, Lord, uh, I'm concerned about my brother or sister, uh, and, and what does this text tell us to do? What, notice some of the different things. It says keeping a watch on yourself. You know, this suggests that before we would go to a, another person to uh, point out their fault to them, that a first step would be to examine our own hearts. Am I guilty of the same thing? What's the spirit in which I would go to that person? Am, am, I, am I going to them in the spirit of spiritual uh, superiority or of judgmentalism, or am I going in uh, a spirit of humility, in a spirit of gentleness? My goal here is not to do harm to this person. What's motivating me is, is, a, is a recognition that this person, look at Paul's language, is caught and needs to be uh, restored. My, my motive in going to a person is not to put them down, but to rescue them and to restore them. <laughs> so the, the New Testament is, is not saying that we all need to go around and start pointing out faults to one another, but we are to take sin. We're to, starting with our own. Seriously. Well, let's go back to that objection. What about grace, Bill? Aren't we to be a people of grace. How does what you're saying fit into the gospel? It, uh, is, isn't this sort of very moralistic and legalistic? <coughs> That's what Paul says back in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 5, sorry, and in verse 7. He says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new love. Sign them to take action. But then notice what he says. Cleanse out the old, you may be a new lump, as you really are 
me by that. For Christ, he continues, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And, and what Paul is, is basically saying here is this, this action that we would take on behalf of, of a, 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 another believer to both uh, manifest the visible beauty of, of the holiness of God in the congregation and also the work for the rescue and restoration of another person that they might, as Paul says, ultimately be saved. That all those actions that we might take, they arise out of not out of self-righteousness, but out of a deep sense, as David was also saying, that Christ, our Passover lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of you were not redeemed with perishable things like gold and silver from your futile way of life, but with precious blood as of a lamb without spot. Christ is the, the lamb who was sacrificed for our sin, for my sin, for your sin. And so Paul is saying that the foundation of our community and the, the, the wellspring of, of the love that we're to have, both for God and a love for his name, a love for his fame, a love for his glory, a love for his honor, and the love that we're to have for one another, for, for our uh, collective and individual holiness, that that springs out of Jesus died for our sins. Christ our Passover has been sacrifice for us, to rescue us from sin. Jesus is making all things new, and, and that is to be our identity, both as individuals and as a community. And it's in, it's in that spirit that we would seek to walk as people who have been cleansed, and to, to call one another in humility and in love to that same so there is a very important place if we're to be a community that honors God and a community of people who genuinely love one another. There's a place for us to speak into one another's lives, uh, as Paul says in verse 8, with sincerity and truth. And to remain silent may not be to love one another at all. And to remain silent may be to subvert this community rather than to strengthen it at times. So as we take the gospel, I think, really to heart and begin to be committed to really loving one another as, as God's people with humility and with compassion, that's what causes the community to grow in health and soundness and strength and integrity and flourishing. One of my spiritual heroes in the faith is Francis Schaeffer. Uh, some of you have heard his name and know his writings. He wrote a little book uh, called The Church Before the Watching World. I wanted to read a, a quote from that as we close. He says, One cannot explain the explosive power of the early church apart from the fact that they practiced two things simultaneously. The orthodoxy of doctrine, they held fast to the truth of the gospel, and the orthodoxy of community, 
in the midst of the visible church, a community which the world could see. And as he goes on, he says that at the heart of this are the principles of showing forth simultaneously the love of God and the holiness of God. If we show either of these without the other, we exhibit not the character of God, but a caricature of God for the world to see. If we stress the love of God, but ignore the holiness of God, that's a fundamental compromise. That compromises the integrity of the people of God as the holy temple of the Lord. If we stress the holiness of God without the love of God, we practice something, he says, that is hard. Hard in the sense of, of like an animal heart. Hard and that lacks beauty. God wants his people to show forth beauty before a lost world and a lost generation. And often people have not been wrong when they say the church is ugly. We're to show, he says, to the watching world that the church is a thing of beauty, and to do that, we need to manifest both the love of God, his love for us, and our love for one another. By this law, people know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another, we manifest the love of God and the holiness of God, who says, be holy, my people, for I am holy. And in order to do that, to manifest both the love of God and, and the holiness of God, we have to look moment by moment. We have to be a community that is built upon not the fact that we all go to Princeton, that we're all the same age, that we're all think we're smart, that we're all brilliant and talented, whatever. Not that we're all friends. I, mean, I hope we're friends, but the community of David said it's not, it can't be built. What is the foundation? That we are a community that is built upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so for spirituality, for this community to have health and integrity, it has to, in a moment-by-moment way, exhibit both the holiness and the love of God. And yes, that means that sometimes we will be called not only to acknowledge our own sin, but to speak into one another's lives. And I think that we can do this in a way that is beautiful when we acknowledge our own arrogance and pride and humble ourselves, when we acknowledge our own lack of wisdom and submit ourselves to the Word of God, when we are prepared to confess our lack of concern for God's glory and pray, God, give us a renewed zeal for your name. When we confess that ultimately the reason we often don't bring things up is not because we love others, but because we're indifferent to them. We don't want to get into a mess. We want to stay out of the messiness of other people's lives and pray, God, I want to love my brothers and sisters, which sometimes means I get into their messes. We confess that Christ, our Passover, Christ the Lamb, has been sacrificed for us to cleanse us from sin, to purge us from evil, 
what a good and gracious work. Then will we have fresh motivation to, as Paul says, to keep the feast, not with the old leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So my prayer is that, you know, as we think about this both in our campus communities, as we think about this in the, the local church and the larger church, that God will, will be building in us a discernment and a wisdom into our own hearts and into his vision for the holiness, the purity, the love, the beauty that he wants for his people. For we are God's temple. God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let's pray. Father, help us as we wrestle uh, with these concepts tonight. I know, uh, as Joel was also saying there, he hasn't heard a lot of sermons on this chapter. And I think that's right. We don't talk about these things very much. I pray that you would help us to wrestle with this text and what kind of people you are calling us to be. You will give us uh, a fresh eagerness, not to sit in judgment upon one another, but a fresh eagerness, humility to love one another deeply, have compassion upon one another, which would lead us, yes, at times to speak honest words, even if they are hard words, to one another. Do your good work in us, we pray.